Welcome to Phoenix and Flame, pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. This podcast is not intended for use as psychotherapy. If you feel you are in crisis, please call 911 or contact your local crisis hotline. Welcome to Phoenix and Flame. I'm Dana, and this is my podcast on pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. I'm telling you, I have really thoroughly enjoyed getting to meet and talk to so many wonderful people as I've started doing this interview series, You're Not Alone. And I have had the privilege of meeting someone, her name, or their name, I apologize, we'll talk about that in just a minute. Kind of glad I did that, actually. Uh, Their name is Leslie, and we have a mutual friend that kind of introduced us. And I was really interested in Leslie's story and their experience and that type of thing. Now, Leslie currently serves as Donor Relations and Gender Identity Ministry Director for Posture Shift. Now, the pronouns we will be using, which I messed up on earlier, will be they and them. Leslie mentors youth, their parents, and adults seeking God's will in their gender identity and are developing a resource designed to thoughtfully engage church leadership in the gender conversation. Leslie is currently pursuing her Masters of Divinity. Leslie, welcome to Phoenix and Flame. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad you're taking your time. And for my listeners out there, Leslie was so... Oh my gosh, so accommodating this morning, because for those who have listened to my podcast for a while, you all know that technology is not my wheelhouse. It's not my strength, but I'm still trying to learn more and do more and be better and that type of thing. Well, this morning, Leslie was so accommodating with me and my, it was like a dumpster fire for a while, but they were so patient and kind and thoughtful. Leslie, thank you so, so much for hanging in there (laughs) with me and not saying, forget this, I'm out of here. (laughs) (laughs) It's all about grace. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you wouldn't mind, just sort of share with us a little bit about, about your story. You can start wherever you want, and we'll just kind of go back and forth and, and just kind of inform the listeners of what your experience has been. Sure. So let's start out with the pronoun thing, because I, that, that tends to be something that throws people off. Um, so let's just dive in really quickly with that. I do identify as non-binary, um, and there's there's a specific reason for that. It's not some trendy fad thing. For my earliest memories, I'm in my mid, mid well, late 40s now, I guess. <laughs> I've transitioned from mid 40s to late 40s. And from the time I was four years old, I was telling people I'm a boy. So um, I was born uh, natal female, but identified as a boy. And, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, that wasn't a thing. You know, that, that just wasn't a thing at all. So we'll, we'll go a little bit more into my story with that. But um, I came back to Christ. I left the church and came back to Christ. And we'll, we'll go into kind of the what surrounded that in a little bit. But when I came back, I was identifying as male. And I don't feel like that's what God has called me to. I feel like God has called me to stay the way I was born. Um, I wouldn't. I want to say that that is specifically what I feel like God has called me to do. That is not a prescriptive answer for every person who has gender dysphoria. 
but that's what God has called me to do. But when I hear she and her pronouns, it is incredibly painful for me. It triggers my dysphoria. It causes suicidality and me to self-harm. So using they, them pronouns is me doing, is me following Christ to the best of my ability and submitting my gender identity to God in a way that keeps me safe, but also is keeping me from transitioning. So, um, wow. so that's just to kind of throw that out there. Cause I know that a lot of times when people hear pronouns that are different, they, they just want to shut down and say, oh, that person, you know, they, they're not following Christ. They don't understand Jesus. And trust me when I say that this is a decades long struggle to get to where I am with God and that I have complete peace that God is, is with me in this. A little bit of my backstory, as I said, I grew up, um, you know, in the seventies and eighties identifying as, as a boy, that wasn't something, you know, that you could do back then. I was a Southern Baptist in Houston, Texas. So it wasn't, you know, necessarily the most, um, liberal of places or, or free, free places. And, you know, that was also right when, you know, the AIDS epidemic was going around. And um, I also uh, figured out when puberty hit that I was attracted to women, or at that point, girls. My first crush at the age of four was Linda Carter as Wonder Woman. I just knew that I was going to marry Linda Carter. We were going to have superpower children, and I was going to be the daddy. <laughs> you know, obviously, four years old, you don't know what daddy, you know, like the biological process of that, but I just knew I was going to be the father. He's closely following that was Aaron Gray from Buck Rogers. <laughs> you know, so I had I was obviously a latchkey latchkey kid, you know, of the 70s and 80s. Very Gen X. So you know, I kind of settled into just being a tomboy as a young person. And as I said, when I hit puberty, dysphoria really set in. And you know, a lot of people ask, you know, what what is dysphoria? What does that feel like? And that's going to feel like something different for for every person. For me, it feels like an extreme anxiety um, that I can't get away from something that I don't identify with. I look at my body and, and that's not how I see myself. It's like I avoid mirrors. Um, I avoid walking past uh, store windows uh, because the person that I see in that reflection is not how I see myself and it's incredibly painful. So with puberty, that really set in as, I, as secondary sex characteristics started to really develop. I um, mean, it's something that is, uh, had always been there, but it got really bad at that point. But there weren't words for it back then. So I had no way of, of describing that to anybody. So it was, you know, Leslie was just moody or Leslie was depressed. And I certainly wasn't going to tell anybody that I was gay at that point. Friends talked about, you know, using, uh, you know, faggot this and like all these horrible words that, you know, you would never want to say to somebody. I knew that, you know, I would be beat up and, and stuff like that, which did eventually happen when, you know, when I... Well, and yeah, like you're saying, in the 70s, it was like there was not language I and mean, there was not a positive response to that at all. So for me, that coming of age would have probably been mid to late 80s. But yeah, so, so certainly there, there, there wasn't just any, we've reclaimed the word queer at this point as a community, but you know, queer was, you know, you know, very much a slur back then. And so, you know, I, in high school, I was pushed downstairs. I was, you know, I, I was just teased relentlessly. My pastor was doing a sermon series on what what we would say LG, is LGBT uh, topics now. Back then it was homosexuality, which is a word that I hate using. But, you know, I went to my pastor and I said, you know, I, I think that's me, but I don't want it to be. I had accepted Christ at the age of eight. All of my memories were wrapped up in the church. I was very active in my youth group. I was a leader in my youth group. And I was very firmly told that I was no longer welcome in that church. And so, you know, had 
was told that I was an abomination, that God could never love me. And as anyone, you know, we're, we're designed to be in community. So I, I left the church community. I did get into the Baptist Student Union for a little while in college to try and reconnect because I never stopped loving God. I just was incredibly fearful and antagonistic towards God's people at that point because I had been so hurt. But obviously, you know, Baptist Student Union in East Texas didn't work out <laughs> very well for me either. So I, I got into theater. I was a stage manager for uh, Broadway tours in both the U.S. and Europe. And doing that, I met uh, the woman who would become my wife. I found community where I could find it because you, the church had, had told me in no uncertain terms that they would not be my community anymore. Sue and I were married for four years. Uh, she had a degenerative neurological disease. And part of that disease was that that she had all kinds of seizures and one of those one of the seizures were what's called myoclonus which is where your hands shake and she had gone outside one day to uh to light her cigarette and we don't know exactly what happened all i know is that i heard her screaming ran out and she was engulfed in flames and so uh she passed away she was 35 i was 36 at the time and we were living in massachusetts she'd been life flighted to to mass general in boston and i called this church that was down the street from our house and i said will you do the funeral like i i at 35 i mean 36 years old you don't know you know how to plan the funeral of your spouse that's not something you know that you even so um you know this pastor answered i was terrified to even talk to him and i was like you know obviously we're, we're lesbians will you do this and he said a phrase that absolutely changed my life he said Leslie, we would be honored to. He didn't stop and say, you know, what are my elders going to think? What are my top donors going to think? When he did the service, he encouraged people to come around me as a widow. And that whole church community just loved me as someone who had been through something horrific. And I went from hating Christians to thinking, okay, maybe I can try this out and got involved um, in the worship aspect of it and was doing sound and stuff like that since I had done technical theater and, and really plugged in with that church there. And after two years was able to completely surrender my gender identity and my sexuality to Christ. There hasn't been a magic wand where it's like, all of a sudden I'm straight. I like guys. You know, I, I don't know that that's ever going to happen, but I am at peace with, with celibacy at this point. Um, that's what I feel like God has called me to. You know, as you said, I, I am in ministry. Uh, I work with LGBT teens, parents. You know, we, we have very strict rules from our board about being able to work with underage people. So it, typically their parents are involved in that. But we also train church leaders top down on how to better engage people within their church. We're not teaching people to go out to gay bars and proselytize. We're saying, no, there are LGBT people within your church. Here's how you can hold to a traditional sexual ethic and still love people within your congregation. And so we've trained about 60,000 church leaders at this point. I was kind of wondering, Leslie, you were talking about really working with church staff and kind of helping them understand the needs of the LGBT community and that type of thing. I'm wondering, what are the biggest obstacles that you run into in trying to pursue that endeavor? Um, I think that the, the biggest thing that I've noticed is just fear. There are so many pastors out there who want to start leading their church in the right direction, or what I would consider the right direction, but they're afraid of what their congregations will do. Uh, they're afraid that their congregations aren't ready to hear it. There is you know, in certain parts of the country, you know, there, I had a pastor say that when they first started having this conversation, their elder board, there were people who didn't even know what LGBT meant, what, the, what those, you know, what the acronym meant. So before a pastor is going to stand up from a pulpit and say something, they have to make sure that their staff and their elder board 
are behind them and are able to handle the questions that are going to come after that. And so it's it's a very slow ship to turn. I think that's been the biggest hindrance. Well, I'm very thankful for your effort in that, representing a, a growing group of people that feel more and more, because of people like you, they're feeling more and more comfortable coming forth and telling their story and being authentic and being honest and realizing that there are loving people in churches, that they don't have to feel like, oh, I, I can't go to church, I can't have a church family because of this thing about myself. And you said something else when you very first were explaining your story. You said that you first knew when you were about four. And I think that's important to bring up too, because once in a while I, I find myself hearing conversations going on about, was someone born this way? Did it happen as a result of trauma? And because my field being in psychotherapy, I end up talking to people that have gone through trauma and that type of thing. So sometimes in those conversations, those things come up. It's like, okay, well, is this something that is just in the person or is it a response to something? And do you think those are, are like two different groups of individuals that some people might do that in response to a trauma or not, you know, have the gender dysphoria? What are your thoughts on that? I'm sure there are people that do have it as a, as a result of trauma. Um, I will say that myself and we as a ministry really try not to get into causation. We have found that it's more of a divide than a help. If somebody is saying to me, I've never had trauma, I've never had this, there are a few questions that I will ask. But typically speaking, I'm going to take somebody's word until they're ready, you know, to divulge. I can tell you at four years old, I had not had any trauma that I'm aware, unless it's something that's like ridiculously suppressed. And most of the people that I know who have gender dysphoria, that is the case. Yeah, that has been my experience as well. Moving forward in your life, what do you see as uh, some potential obstacles and also areas of strength that you see as you pursue your Masters of Divinity and that type of thing? Well, some obstacles, you know, I mean, it's, I think this is true of anyone who is single. I, you know, it's not just particularly in my story, but, you know, there's the reality that I, I'm an only child. I'm not super close to the rest of my family. So there's going to come a time when my mother passes away that I have no family. And so, you know, when I say that I need the church to be my family, it's not some cutesy, oh, the family of God, you know, you know, sing song kind of thing. It's like, no, I need people who are going to show up in my life. Um, and I, I think a lot of people who don't have spouses would, would say that, that it's, you know, this isn't unique to my journey. I'm very fortunate uh, in the church that I attend that, that I have people that are showing up like that in my life and have committed to be there, you know, once my mom is gone. Some of the advantages, if somebody calls me and needs help with something, I don't have to, you know, worry about, well, do I have to, you know, get my kids taken care of? Or is there something I'm supposed to be doing with my spouse? If I need, if I want to pick up and go serve, I pick up and I go serve. You know, there's there's nothing in the way of that. And there's there's absolutely a freedom in that. It was, you know, I shared with you that I was recording another podcast uh, yesterday. And uh, one of the things that we were talking about is that when you are celibate for any reason, that's something that you have to daily lay down at God's feet. It's an anchor chain for me. I'm kind of thankful for it in a way, because I know that I can't go too long without figuratively, if not literally being on my knees before the cross and giving up, you know, and, and re-surrendering this, you know, because it's, 
and there's also a different journey for people who have who have been in relationship and have decided this is how I'm going to live the rest of my life and people who younger people have said no this is just how I'm going to live my life they have a particular journey my journey is that I know what I'm missing out on you know I know what it's like to have that person to make all the decisions with and you know it's it's tough not having that person to make life decisions with it every life decision you make is is made on your own and so yeah but but there is absolutely freedom and joy outside of that that's you know, that I can go and do whatever, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not beholden to somebody. You know, I really like the way you're explaining all of this. And you, you seem to really respect each individual person's journey, which is something that I repeat a lot on my podcast is and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to do You're Not Alone interview series and, and really reach out to people who have experienced, you know, different levels of diversity and things in their life so that people have a chance to hear and understand what it's like to walk in different people's shoes so we're, that we're less judgmental, we're less critical. We're, we, we allow someone else to be in their lane. We allow someone else to walk their path and honor them walking their path and not be critical and, and judgmental in that way. Do you feel like that there's people you've run into, even in the, the LGBT community, that are critical or, you know, don't really respond particularly positively to your choice of celibacy. Absolutely. It's, you know, I'm a heretic to ultra fundamental Christians and I am a traitor to what's considered a side A LGBT person. Um, It's a very kind of fine line of people that I can relate to uh, within the LGBT community, especially because I was such an activist uh, prior to coming, coming back to Christ. I've been told that I'm dishonoring my wife's memory, that I'm a traitor to her memory. There are entire blogs about, from both conservatives and liberals, about uh, how horrible I am, like naming me specifically, uh, just because of, uh, there's a a fairly well-known theologian who uses my story and has used it in in three of his books. And so my my story is out there, my name is out there. And so there's there's no lack of uh, criticism of me, (laughs) unfortunately. Oh, and that just that's so frustrating. But you know what, I'm, I'm kind of glad you brought that up. Because really, for any of us, if we're going to be walking a path of authenticity, if we are going to tell our story, there are going to be people out there that don't like it. And that that respond in a very vitriolic negative way. And what are we going to do? Are we going to say, okay, because there are are going to be people out there that are going to respond that way? Am I not going to share my story? Am I just going to stay silent? because I don't want someone to respond to me in a hateful way? Or am I going to be true to myself? Am I going to be authentic? Am I going to tell my story? And as uh, Taylor Swift is known to say, let the haters hate. (laughs) The haters are going to hate. And just be thankful for the people that you are reaching that are so glad to hear what you have to say and that are maybe walking your path, but earlier, maybe they're younger now and they're hearing you even now on this podcast and they're hearing you tell your story and thinking, wow, that's, she was, I'm her, I'm they, okay? I'm, I'm sorry about that. That's okay. I'm still learning. <laughs> You're fine. <laughs> so do you see what I'm trying to say? It's like, what are you going to do when people are going to, I'm going to hate? Yeah, so so a couple things to that. When my story kind of went public and and there are a couple of videos out there and stuff, and like I said, these books, when that happened, I had to do like a, a very uh, serious sit down like with God and I, and I just had to come to the conclusion that, okay, I am doing this for Christ. Christ went to the cross for me. I can handle a blog, <laughs> you know, 
this is all for the sake of the kingdom. You know, Paul says that we should be all things for all people that some may come, right, to the gospel. It would be wonderful if it said that all may come, but we're doing this for some. They hated Jesus. If they're not, if there aren't people hating me, I don't think I'm doing it right. I'm not loving radically enough. So yeah, that's just kind of where I've had to land on that. I love that point. And I guess one of the last things I'll say, and then, you know, give you some time if you have any last comments or questions or anything like that. I really like the idea of family, like you were saying earlier, church family. And that's one of the things that I've been kind of pushing for with my podcast, with my interview series, is helping us to just reach out and just be family to each other. Stop asking all these questions of what this and what that and how come you're not this. Just allowing each person to be their authentic self and be their family. Love them, be there for them, instead of pushing someone aside because they're different. You know, it's, it's funny, like one of the, when someone, when I say that or when someone, when someone else, I've heard someone say that, there's always the people that say, well, what about truth? Like, that's all grace. What about the truth in it? You know, and it's, I, we, we do need to be family. We've, we've lost sight of that. I think in our culture, we've, we're, we almost idolize the nuclear family. Not almost, we do idolize the nuclear family. And so, you know, people, people like me are, are kind of struggling to try and find a way to fit in. Because I have a comment about what you just said, is about the definition of family, the nuclear family. Because I think if we broaden our understanding of what does family mean? In a kind of a funny way, I think of that show Friends. You know, they, they went to New York or whatever, and they became a family. They None of them, well, two were biologically related, but the rest of them, they were not biologically related. And yet they went and they came together and they became a family. And I think it's really a good idea for us to kind of step back and broaden our view of what does family mean? And, and can't we, like open our circle and just if just ask ourselves if we did react to this person or that person as if they were family how would that change how we respond to them there's a great book by Wes Hill called spiritual friendship and it's about covenant friendships in the body of Christ he's a phd professor also a minister and he has a family that he has a covenant relationship with that like if they move they're going to talk about it like together and it's 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 just beautiful that they've you know kind of included him in and and I have that kind of relationship here with with you know with a couple of families which is is just incredible. I, I will say like in the church that I was involved in in Massachusetts that wasn't necessarily the case. There were times when, you know, I was active in the church on Wednesdays and Sundays, but there would go there would be days when I like literally wouldn't speak to anyone, you know, just because there was you know I was living in a you know at that point in a condo by myself. That has not happened here. There's always somebody you know goofing around, texting, joking, texting or whatever. And I, I don't know how I would, I, how I would be survive. I would go back to surviving and not thriving. I feel like I'm able to thrive now because I have that. You know, I think when you're talking about, first of all, I hate the word celibacy. <laughs> like there's no other word to describe it, but I hate it. I just, I just, I just don't like it. I don't know why. But you know, there are three types of intimacy that I have found. There's physical, spiritual, and emotional. I can do without one of those three. So without messing up. When I say messing up, it's like going into sin, either emotionally, spiritually, or physically. So if physical is already taken away, I have to have the church be my emotional and spiritual relationship, which means that there has to be people that, you know, that when you think about like how you, you know, what you're, what it's like with your spouse, that there are times that you're just completely raw 
and you make no sense and you're just emotional and stupid, but they're your spouse and they know you that well and they, they let you do that. As a single person, it's really hard to find that in a relationship. And so having the church be able to be there and really step up in that way has, has taken me from surviving to thriving. That is wonderful. And one last question for you. If there are people out there in uh, the Phoenix and Flame listening audience that are in churches and they're maybe in various positions of authority or church members or whatever the case may be, and they're listening to you and they're listening to your story and they want to be a agent of change. They want to do something proactive. They want to do something to help. They want to do something. Um, they want to be part of the solution. What would you suggest to them? What possible words of wisdom, pieces of advice that you might have for them as they are out there in their various churches, maybe surrounded by people that aren't particularly receptive to this message or, you know, uh, individuals walking that particular uh, line. So what would you say? What would your suggestions be? You know, I would say go to PostureShift.com. Look at our resources. We have Guiding Families is an amazing book. We've had parent-child relationships be completely turned upside down in a matter of hours and repaired by, by parents reading this book. For church leaders, we have all kinds of training that go from one hour to a four-hour digital training you can do to a two-day digital tra- or to a two-day training where we you know we come out and train uh, people in their churches. But we take on this conversation missiologically. you know and if you think about when you go on a mission trip or you know or when you're preparing for missions, you look at people's language, you look at their culture, you look at their history. and that's what we do. And then once that has been established and there's a common language and a common understanding of, okay, when we say this, an LGBT person hears this and here's why. So it's not just saying change your language because, it's change your language and this is why. So you have a, they have a much deeper understanding of, of why. So they're, they're better equipped to go before their congregations or you know whatever that may be. We also help uh, create inclusion models and things like that. But that's all part of like our two-day posture shift intensive. And it's all, the, all of that's at postureshift.com. And uh, or info at postureshift.com, you know, requesting a proposal or something, we'd be able to help out that way. Okay, that is wonderful. And I will put postureshift.com in my show notes for uh, when I put the podcast, when I launch it out on iTunes and, and other all the other destinations that it goes to. But I will put it in the show notes so that people will have that and can easily get to it and, and find that information. Leslie, I appreciate you so much for tolerating my craziness this morning. That has to be said again. (laughs) It's not that bad. (laughs) And my technical ineptitude and and your grace in that and your willingness to hang in there. And literally, they went to another location to help me do this interview. I appreciate that so much. All right. Well, if this message has touched you in any kind of way, if you have related to Leslie's story, if you know of someone who might be walking a journey that sounds similar to Leslie's, I would ask that you post the podcast on your social media platforms, whatever your favorite ones are, whether they be 
Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, that you would share Leslie's message so that we can reach people that could possibly benefit from maybe going to PostureShift.com or their family members that could do that as well to relieve some suffering and to pull together and also to grow our Phoenix and Flame community, which we reach out to one another, we learn from each other, we accept each other. I thank you for joining us today, and I hope the rest of your day goes wonderfully. This is Dana on Phoenix and Flame.